Well, good morning. I was excited, kind of, to have this passage and to work with it this week. It's so well known. And then as I began to meditate on and dwell on it, I thought, oh dear, what have I gotten myself into? And I suppose that you might have thought that I would bring a piece of art and that that art would probably contain sheep and a shepherd, but surprise. I brought this painting because it is a resurrection painting, and our theme in Eastertide is the resurrection, the foundation for the Christian life. But as I was meditating both on this passage and also on resurrection and what that looks like concretely, I wondered how can you experience resurrection without a cross and death? What would we be resurrected from without the cross of Christ? And so why is this painting a resurrection painting? Well, one, it does contain the cross, and it is a picture of Jesus carrying the nakedness and the wounds of his agony. However, it is not the agony of Golgotha that we see. His face is serene, as if he's passed through the valley of suffering, and he has made it to the other side. And the gold around Jesus tells us he is now ascended and is in the heavenly realm with the Father. He is in the presence of the Father, in his ascended state. And the most remarkable vision of the artist is this, that now the wood, the impediment, the thing that brought the suffering is removed. And now somehow, an echo of Isaiah 53 is heard in our ears when we understand that the Lord himself bruised him. And the artist seems to create a deeper imagination for us that this was the Father's will. And in fact, Jesus is not pinned to a cross. He is pinned to the Father who holds him, who is with him. And proceeding from the Father is a little dove, which is hard to make out. But even as we profess it in our creed, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And we seem to hear the echo now of the psalmist. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. This painting resides in Padua Chapel in Italy. It was not painted, it was not intended to be a momentary stop on a tourist walk, or to hang in some museum, or be pictured in a history book, nor was it intended to be some preacher's sermon. <laughs> it was intended to live in the life of a church, in the life of a community. It was intended to be a 
a companion to the liturgy of worship, of scripture, teaching, the Eucharist, the prayers, the singing, the shaping of the imagination for a whole community, for a lifetime. And something in it carries with it a message of the cross-shaped life and the good shepherd and the one who is with us and obedience to the end over a lifetime. And it was meant to reside with us and in that community. Even as Psalm 23 and John 10 was not written to be a good Christian metaphor or a sentimentalized greeting card. Both Psalm 23 and John 10 were to, are to live with us for a lifetime. They are loved, yes, but more importantly, they are to be lived into over a lifetime. And I'm going to leave this painting up while I teach through John 10. And if you get bored, you can go back. I will forgive you. You can go back to look, because I'd rather you be formed, informed by what you see than anything I could share with you today. So if you look at your gospel reading in John 10, I'm not going to start at the beginning. I'm going to start at the middle. In verse 6, John gives a little break-in to this message of Jesus, a little bit of commentary, and he says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So I asked myself, well, who are they? Who's them? And what was the figure of speech? And why didn't they get it? So who are they? In context, which is important to do, and unfortunately, the chapter 10 mark interrupts the context of this wider story because it ends with uh, chapter 9 having an indictment against the Pharisees because they had judged the blind man's healing as false, and they had discredited Jesus and his authority as Messiah, and they had driven out the blind man from the synagogue, the community of faith, and the experience of worshiping God for his wonderful work. And at the end of chapter 9, Jesus essentially says, you say you see, and he is directing it to the Pharisees, you say you see, and you say you know God, teachers and leaders, truly the shepherds of Israel. You say you see, and you say you know God, and yet you have been blinded to his very character, that he intends the healing of his people, even on the Sabbath day, in the midst of every day. He intends mercy and healing. He intends to be the shepherd of his flock, to care for his people, and you say you see him, and you say you know him, but in fact you are blind. And that leads into the truly, truly of chapter 10. So the they that John says this passage was directed to are the shepherds of Israel. 
They are the leaders, the pastors, and the teachers of Israel. They were to reflect and be a reflection of God's own heart. And so Jesus is then launched into a picture, a parable, a figure of speech. And this is the figure of speech, which you probably all have been churched in and know better than I. The figure of speech is the door of the sheepfold and the shepherd. And what this is is a compacted parable. And he's using now the parable back to teaching to, directed to, those pastors, teachers, leaders who were meant to have a vocation of care for the sheep. The image both of door and shepherd would have been easily recognizable, both of which stood in the heart and worked out through the DNA of the nation of Israel, of the people of God, as they looked for the Messiah who would be the one who would shepherd God's people into freedom and life. God himself early on in Genesis and then also through the prophets of Ezekiel called himself the shepherd of Israel. And he indicted, God himself in Ezekiel 34, indicted the people who were falsely leading the people, leading them in ways of destruction, robbing them of the life that God had intended. So this figure of speech was to grab their attention. A parable is a type of mystery saying, a densely compacted thought full of meaning that would live in the imagination of the hearer of that parable. And it was always grounded in some earthly element that would point to a deeper spiritual truth. It would communicate an abstract into a concrete experience. It was meant to hold you. And as you held it, and it sunk down into you, as it began to reside in you, it would then give shape to life and to an imagination for the kingdom life that God wanted us to see. The poet Bonnie Thurston says, whatever takes up residence within shapes our outer life. And so even with the Psalm 23 and John 10 and this picture of Jesus and God as the shepherd of the flock, these teachers would have had a wealth of interior imagination for what a shepherd would look like and what God intended for his people. And now... They didn't get it. They didn't see it. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And I wondered why they didn't get it. Why then were they blind? Especially with truth standing right before their eyes. What makes one obtuse, insensitive to deeper spiritual realities? I can't completely criticize them. For I myself have been obtuse and insensitive on a myriad of occasions. With God and what he tries to communicate to me and the ways he shows me for living, 
I've often found that I'm blinded by anger or jealousy or, man, what wipes me out is insecurity. Another thing that blinds us, blinds me, are when others injure me or injure someone I love. Man, this blinds me. Sometimes when I feel threatened, I'm blinded with fear, especially when I'm threatened in the way of life I want to live or the ways I want to go. Usually I'm blinded or obtuse when truth that stands right before me invites me to change. Often change meets resistance when it involves a change of my mind, my behaviors, my preferences, my prejudices, or my cherished opinion. For these religious leaders, I wonder what blinded them. I don't know exactly, but probably their expectation in that Messiah. Jesus just wasn't who they wanted, envisioned, or expected. Maybe they were blinded because they just wanted their own way. Maybe they were blinded because they cherished positions of power. They were captivated by their own theological debate. Or maybe their prowess, their intellectual prowess, or the seats of authority that they held, or the misuse of their rule over people. Maybe they just loved passing judgment. I don't know. But they drove out this blind man who was healed, and they criticized and condemned Jesus and at the end of John 10, at the end of this passage, it even says that there was a division among them. This parable wasn't given for their comfort, as it is often used. It was given to contrast them from what God had intended for his people and for his pastors to be. And it had caused a division among the Jews. In fact, some had even accused Jesus of being insane or demon-possessed. And this figure of a speech of the door of the shepherd and the uh, sheepfold and the shepherd was meant to show the heart and intention of God who cares for his people. And today, it would be my prayer that a division would happen in us that we would be divided from anything, everything, or anyone who would prevent us from experiencing the life and the care and the freedom and the healing and the protection and the fullness of life that God intends for you, for us, for me, and for our loved ones. He is good, and anyone, anyone who comes to him, he will not drive out. So a few things about the door and the good shepherd. The door of the sheepfold was just simply a doorway on a pen that would be for the safekeeping at night for the sheep. So the door is just 
a symbol of access into safety, a protected place, a safe place that the sheep might dwell in a place that was safe for them. And they would be protected from all wild things and all robbers whose intent was to kill or still or destroy. Simply put, when Jesus says, I am the door of the sheepfold, he is saying, I am the access into safety. Your life is safe in and through me. I stand in the place where you will have access into the Father and into the Father's house. It also stands as a symbol of freedom because it gave them access out during the day as the shepherd would call them out into green pastures. And so they were free. And the door gave them access into that freedom, protection and security when it's scary, and freedom to discover all that would sustain and nourish life in the grace of God. And clearly, that is what Jesus is saying. I am your safety, and I am your freedom. Notice that the shepherd, and this is very interesting, and I love this about him, he calls them by name, and I know this is a cherished part, and I'm sure all of you have something that you hold dear about this knowledge, that he knows them by name, he has a call, and they know his voice, and he leads them out. But I want you to see something, that the shepherd walks before them, and the sheep follow after. This is very different, and it's particular to this culture and this part of land, that this shepherding has the sheep behind. In places like Australia, the sheep herders would drive the sheep from behind. But he was making a very clear connection that because of the intimacy and the knowledge and the trust shared between the sheep and the shepherd, it would be something like hearing his voice and following him. And I want to say prodding is not like being driven. <laughs> and so the sheep follow him. Some just simple implications of all of this to note. The sheep were not fenced in. They were given freedom to go in and out and find green pastures. To me, this is just about our liberation from anything or anyone who would oppress the way of life of God or to in some way prevent us from experiencing the goodness of God in our lives. They were led versus being driven. And this would be probably something that I would say, examine that, led versus being driven. What drives you? How are you being driven? I think in Orange County, and if anyone has a life here, or just in the human condition, we have at least felt what it feels like to be driven. And the shepherd doesn't drive. 
He leads. He calls by name. And we follow. There is some sort of recognition of the voice of the good shepherd versus the unrecognized voice of the stranger. This just speaks completely of intimate belonging and a relationship of trust. And then lastly, life versus death. John, all through his gospel, uses sharp contrasts to point out very specific things as if to pronounce two very specific ways or kinds of life. And here again, all the way through this parable, Jesus is pointing out a very sharp contrast between the false way and the robbers and thieves and those who do not care for the sheep and the kind of life that is lived that leads to death. And those who follow the sheep and experience the goodness and know the way into life and the relationship of the shepherd and they experience the goodness and safety and freedom of the good shepherd. But I would suggest to you and given this picture that there's also a third way of living. And in verse 11, which we didn't read today, it says that I am a good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. And the third way of living is death as an entrance to life, a commitment to give oneself to save another. And Jesus is saying essentially the religious leaders who cast out the blind man, discredited the miracle, and condemned Jesus, rejecting him and prevented others from following him, they had missed their true vocation. The vocation of pastors and teachers and leaders and those who minister to people or to care for people. It is a commitment to continually devote oneself to the growth and well-being of another. It is a vocation of liberation from anything that would oppress. It is a commitment to ensure safety. It is to attend to spiritual formation and fulfillment. It is to provide access to God, never driving anyone away, but always welcoming in, driving, if anything, to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and he is saying to those pastors, those teachers, those leaders, you have missed your vocation. It wasn't to be intellectual, <laughs> analytical, or even to carry all the doctrines and be the keepers of good, good doctrines. As much as that is so important, and we value all the fathers and mothers of our faith who have contended for the faith, Jesus is saying, first and foremost, it's to be a pastor, it's to be a shepherd, it's to be one who cares for others. I believe they lost sight of this. They lost sight of the ways in which they were to reflect the invisible God to the people of Israel. And Jesus is saying, now the invisible God is made known and is seen through me. I am 
the good shepherd. I am the door. And before anything else, Jesus was a pastor, shepherd, lover, caregiver, friend, companion, protector, savior, before he was a religious leader. To conclude, our passage of Acts, I think, is very important. It is a composite or a summary of a simple practice of the early church after the resurrection, after Pentecost, and after Peter's gospel in Acts 2, which you probably heard some of that last week, the repentant and baptized, spirit-filled people of God began to participate in something called community and worship. If you will, I like to call this the liturgy for living. And the reason why I think it's so key for us to understand is that it seems to be where the shepherd cares for the sheep in experience and in concrete ways. As the people devoted themselves to this liturgy of life, to listen to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, now they devoted themselves, that means they are giving themselves to this in a committed way, and if you read through that passage, there is a regularity, even an everydayness, to their devotion, to listening to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing bread, or to share a meal together, and to the prayers. They did this regularly because of the goodness it was as they gathered. It seemed good to be together. And I believe this is the domain of where the shepherd cares for the sheep where the shepherd's voice can be heard, where the shepherd's protection and assurance and where growth and fulfillment and spiritual maturity takes place in our everyday ordinary lives. It is the context of a faith-believing community. And resident in the community was the Spirit of God who moved through the apostles in signs and wonders, in healing, in miracles, and as an effect of their gathering together and their experiencing the goodness of life, the Lord added to the church daily. And this is not evangelism as a second arm of the church. It's primarily the care of God's sheep as they gather together, experiencing the life and the power and the goodness of God, and out of it flows something that is so good and attractive, compelling, that the Lord would drive, if you will, lead others into the community to experience the fullness of life the abundant life that he had promised. The renewal and the restoration of humanity is experienced in a faith-committed body of people who are exercising simple spiritual practices, giving themselves to it 
to those practices to one another. They shared. It produces a generosity of heart. Life together is one that we experienced as a grace. It's a gift to have one another. And as your pastor, I recognize for Holy Trinity, it is difficult to build and to shape a community, especially with so many of you commuting, but to whatever degree we're trying, right? <laughs> and we have a good shepherd who's helping. But I would just pray always over you, and I pray for you every week, that there would be something good that rises out of this community so that others and each one of us would know, would see and experience the goodness of the shepherd, that life would be experienced here. This is formation. This is worship as we gather together. And to end into our quiet time, I'd like to give you another chance to look at the painting and to move into silence. And I think once again, Jesus would quite possibly ask us, invite us to trust him. Just simply trust him. Do you trust me to lead you into life? Even if it means traveling through a geography of suffering, do you trust me? I want to ask you for your contemplation. If Jesus were speaking to you today, if he was speaking to us as a church body, would we recognize his voice? What might he be saying to us? What might he be saying to you? And if you heard him, would you follow him? Listen once more to Jesus' words. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out, in and out, and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and to have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep.